0: Hallowed be thy name. Oh, let your name be lifted up above all the earth. We thank you that we get to know that name. The great I am that I am. Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Jehovah Nisi, our banner of victory. We thank you today that you're Jehovah Shalom. You're the Lord of peace. And we thank you today that you're bringing your kingdom in and through us so the whole world can see what you are about, that you're a God of love and holiness and mercy, and that you do not desire to bring wrath, but you desire to bring salvation. And Lord, as we're reading today through the book of Revelation, may we be compelled to win our friends and family for you, Lord, so that they would avoid such terrible times coming upon the earth in Jesus name and everybody said amen let's bless the lord one more time you may be seated amen and amen how many know god's going to come and take care of business you know oftentimes we as christians we think to ourselves that that because the book of revelation already tells us how everything ends that we ought to be fatalistic and that's not true thank you sir That we shouldn't be fatalistic in our mindset. We should actually be optimistic. Everybody say optimistic. Think about it like this. Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified, but he could still have fun and enjoy time with his disciples. How could he do that? Why? Because he knew there was a time, as Ecclesiastes says, a time for rejoicing, a time for mourning. Right now, we're not supposed to just throw up our hands and say, well, you know, whoever's going to be here at the end in Babylon and being destroyed by the bowls of God's wrath, you can go to Revelation 15 with me. We're going through the book here. Uh, You know, whoever's going to be there is going to be there, so I'm just going to relax and do whatever I want to do now. I know I'm not going to be there. That's not to, to be our mindset. Our mindset is actually supposed to be in the mindset of, you know what, God is in control. God has got everything in control, but as He's got everything in control, He's given us a choice. Some may say a choice. The Bible says it pleased the Lord to give man the earth. And that he gave man the earth to have dominion over it. And so we are not supposed to just look at the judgments of God and say, well, God, you just come and take care of it, and I just, you know, I'm just gonna sit here and wait. No, the waiting of the Bible is a serving. How many have ever met a waiter or a waitress? Did they just stand around and do anything? No, what were they doing? They were waiting on you. They were serving. And now we call them servers as well, right? And so the idea is a both hands. You're supposed to look at the book of Revelation and go, man, God's going to take care of business. I'm so glad that he's going to do what only he can do. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and that should scare the hell out of you. Amen. How many believe that? God is going to judge the earth. So when people always say that, you know, man, only God can judge me, that should terrify them because this is what it looks like when God judges. But is that all that we're supposed to do or to look forward to in the earth is God's judgment? No, we're supposed to look at the work of the church, going around to the nations, making disciples. And so I am thankful that I'm not going to be there and that someone preached the gospel to me. How many know that we can have a part to play now in somebody else's salvation? Amen. So let's go to Revelation chapter 15. I have just uh, back there praying as the Spirit was moving, and I was thinking I have two options. we got to see what the Lord does. I have a 29-verse sermon, which is these two uh, chapters, and then I have a 92-verse sermon, which brings us all the way down to chapter 20, all the way through chapter 19, and I just felt the Lord say, be ready for both. So I'm ready, Jesus. Let's see where we go. Okay, here's all the charts. They're online. If you're new with us, you can get caught up in all of our messages on our app or the website, also Facebook. But we're going to go today now in Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. Well, let me just go over the review. It's always good to to know where we're at. So we're going over the book of Revelation verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We've been introduced to Christ and the churches. We believe that we have been raptured so that what we are witnessing now in the book of Revelation is for the 144,000, the 12,000 chosen out of the 12 tribes of Israel and for tribulation saints who become Christians during that time. The first thing that we see is the seven seals of judgment coming from the Lamb, then the seven trumpets, and then we see an interlude which we went over last week where we learn about the beast that has uh, seven heads and ten horns. We learned about the, uh, that's the Antichrist, the false prophet is the second beast, and the dragon who is the devil, the unholy trinity. We learned about that, and now we're going to get into the seven bowls of God's judgment, the last judgments of God. After that, we believe that the battle of Armageddon comes. Christ returns with the armies at the, uh, the armies of heaven at the battle of Armageddon. And then he establishes a, his kingdom for a thousand year reign. We're going to get into that as well. And then after the thousand year reign, there's actually a time where Satan gets loose to tempt the uh, humanity again. And we believe that's because these in a the thousand years have not been under his influence. So the choice that God has given us, it covers all of human history. So there'll be a, a battle there called Gog and Magog. And then after that is the great, great white throne judgment. And then the new heaven, and earth and New Jerusalem. Everybody say amen. Amen. Now, we've talked about this. This is my proposed timeline. You don't necessarily have to agree with it. There are different versions of that, but that's how we're interpreting the book of Revelation. And we predominantly take Revelation to be literal until we are given a reason to take it allegorical. And as we have been going through this, we've been understanding that when something generally is given allegorical, nine times out of 10, the interpretation comes. How many have noticed that? We're told, and and just like we went over last, Last week, we were learning about the beast, seven heads, ten horns. like, what is that? Well, today you're going to see, and we had to skip ahead to this part to reference it, but now you're going to read exactly what are the seven heads, what are the ten horns. And this is important in the book of Revelation because sometimes I think the, the wackiest uh, interpretations come when people go, well, it's all symbolic, so now we can just make it symbolic. Well, the, the moment you do that, I think you lose the meaning of what the book of Revelation is trying to give us. If If the Bible is meant to be all in mystery, or I should say the book of Revelation is meant to be all in mystery, then why even give it to us to begin with? Are we just supposed to be confused? Are we just supposed to look at signs within signs and signs? I don't believe that's the point. I believe that we're supposed to look at signs and get a message out of that and apply it to our lives. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Okay, so let's go to Revelation chapter 15 verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them God's is completed so what do I think come on everybody what do I think this sign is about the seven last plagues what do I think that sign is the seven last plagues that's what I think it is does everybody get that and I know it sounds too simple to be true, but I, honestly, I go with this, and I am a Bible student slash scholar. You know, we try to be humble in that, but I do have a, you know, a doctorate degree and so forth, and I've studied the languages. I want to tell you that once we lose the idea to just do what I did right there in the book of Revelation, we will open ourselves to every private interpretation of this book, and I don't think that we should. I believe we should come here and take it for what it says. These things that are coming are plagues, and they are a sign to us. So you're now supposed to understand that these plagues will come upon the earth. The reason why I mention that is because there are some people called the preterists as we've talked about them before. Some of my heroes were preterists, John Wesley and others and they would say that all of this including the thousand year reign has already taken place and we're just now waiting for the great white throne judgment that all of this the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls that was all the destruction of Jerusalem and the thousand year reign has been the reign of the church there they solved the problem how in the world did the destruction of jerusalem encapsulate these seven last plagues the one of the plagues that we're going to get to is that every living thing in the seas die now if that's a sign within the sign like the sign is every living thing in the sea dies and then there's a sign that's supposed to go along with it. i'm supposed to interpret the sign of every living thing dying and see what am i supposed to interpret from that that we lost our, you know, we, we lost some of our fish that day. What do you think I'm supposed to take away from that sign that everything in the sea died? I'm supposed to take away from that everything in the sea died. Does everybody get that? So, my preterist friends, as much as I love you, you are capital W O, uh, capital W R, uh, capital W R O N G, wrong. Did I spell that word right? And I'm capital R I G H T, right. Okay, you're wrong. All caps, you're wrong. This, there's no way this happened. And that's why I always like to give you that because you may still meet some folks. And my best explanation to why they did this and why, you know, uh, this was an interpretation around then is because people were 2,000 years in the waiting for Christ. And, you you know, well, let's say 1,800 years in the waiting for Christ, you're around in the 1800s. And they were looking at this going, how in the world can this ever happen? Mark of the beast. No one can buy and sell without it. Everyone gets it. The two witnesses, they die, ascend to heaven, uh, you know, resurrected, ascend to heaven, and the whole world sees it. You know, I believe they were looking at that going, now it has to be symbolic. Like the two witnesses cannot literally be two witnesses ascending to heaven. It has to be the Old and the New Testament and the covenants coming together. And and when did you ever see the Bible fly to heaven anyways, right? But now it's a sign within a sign within a sign. No, I think honestly... As much as I love the Wesleyans, as much as I love the Lutherans, the Calvinists, you know, those, the Presbyterians, those who came before us in in that time where they really tried to, you know, solidify the the eschatology, I appreciate with their heart of trying to preserve the Word of God, but in so doing, they actually made the book of Revelation a a book of nonsense. And I I say that with all respect. If it doesn't mean, what we're about ready to get into in these last plagues, if it doesn't mean every living creature in the sea died, then what does? it possibly mean? Well, we just lost some fish around 70 AD. No, it means every living creature died. Now, what, what do I now see as the only real, uh, you know, way to go here is that this is future. Everybody say futurist. So we're not preterists looking to the past. We're looking to the future. And then now it's just all the arguments really among Christians is where does the rapture take place? Does it take place before the tribulation? Does it take place in the middle of the tribulation? Does it take place after uh, the the the, the bull? of wrath, uh, excuse me, after the breaking of the treaty before the bulls of wrath, which I've never taught you about. It's called pre-wrath, pre-wrath tribulation, or is it post-tribulation? So you could actually put four different timelines or options here for for, um, the tribulation. And why do we take it before? We've shown you outside of the scriptures that, I mean, excuse me, outside of Revelation that it has to be before, but I've also showed you in Revelation that it has to be before. There's a part that we just wrote about the beast kingdom that he has authority over every nation, tribe, and tongue, and he has power to conquer those who have uh, the, the mark of the Lamb. How in the world is that possible in the church age? Only the 144,000 that are sealed are, are not able to be destroyed, but the rest of them, remember he says that go, he goes after the 144,000's offspring because he has all authority, the beast, does, the antichrist. How is that possible in the church age? How can you have the church going through a time of tribulation where all of a sudden this monstrosity? right here, has the power over the church to hunt you down and conquer you. Do you guys believe that Jesus is going to allow that to happen to the church? I don't believe that goes against everything he says in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Teaching, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you until the very end of the what? Age. So there has to be a change of age and change of authority now for the devil to have authority over God's people. I've also showed you that that this couldn't be, you know, the age of the church because if it's the age of uh, you know the church is going through all of this the bible says there's a locust army led by a a demon coming out of the abyss that walks and roams on the earth. How in the world could Christians allow demons and a demonic army and a you know demonic leader upon the earth without having the authority to cast him out? What has changed? Does God now just remove the authority and says, hey, guys, figure it out. Demons are going to be messing with you now. No, what we know is that God gave us power to trample on scorpions and snakes and everything from the enemy, that in Jesus' name these signs shall follow. Those that believe they shall cast out demons. How many believe that? Amen. So hopefully we've made a good case for that. But once again, if you disagree with any of this and you want to talk to me about it, where do we have to go? Red lobster, your treat. You do most of the talk and I'm just eating because I don't have a desire to necessarily debate this. I will teach it. And I will try to explain it with your point of view. I'll try to, you know, give you a little fun, you know, cha-ching of the swords. But I want you to see that this uh, its not as important to me as other things. But if you just take this timeline, you'll be good. If I'm wrong, I'm still good because I'm going to serve Jesus no matter what. I'm not scared of the Antichrist. You know, I just don't want to be here when he comes, okay? But... You know, if, if you want to see them and be here for it, okay, go for it, and uh, you'll just get raptured with us, and you'll be up in the heaven, maybe a little disappointed that you didn't get to go through all this, but I'm going to watch it from heaven. How many want to watch it from heaven with me? Okay, amen. I'm not an escapist. I'm going through tribulation even right now, the Bible says. We're going through persecution even right now on the earth, so we're not afraid of it. We're going to stand up for Christ. So I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, I believe these are the seven last plagues. Last, because with them, God's wrath is completed. That's why when we go to the, the, you know, the seals, trumpets, and bowls, working it out, that's why I go, the bowls are last. Why do I think the bowls are last? Why do you guys think I, I think they're last? Because it says they're last. That's why I think they're last. I don't think they overlap with the rest of these. Both of these don't make them last. Because the moment you have a bowl one happening during trumpet three or seal five, can it be last? No, because bowl one is not last to trumpet seven. Does everybody get that? This is last. So starting with bowl one, last. That's why I go right here. And they do have an overlap to when they start in the timeline, but it is now seven, the last of the trumpets, is now the first of the bowls, and these are the last judgments. So these are the types of things that we've gone through. And I actually have a chart here that shows you how they do not line up. They are not the same, though They so a couple of them, as we've gone through, a couple of them have some similarities. They are not the same judgments. Okay, so they're the last because God's wrath will be completed. And we also have other scriptures that I tend not to use, but it's good to remind you guys is that the Bible says God has not appointed us unto wrath. This is clearly wrath upon the earth. So a post-tribulation person, the one who has the belief that we do not get raptured until the battle of... of you are literally saying we are staying for the wrath of God. When there is no living creature in the sea, when there is no clean water, all of it has been turned to blood. You're somehow there. I don't. I just don't believe that. That is not God's plan for us. I believe we're, we're up there enjoying our fellowship with the Lord. Okay, verse 2. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its ne- Six six six. As we went through before, they held harps given them by God. This is where we get the idea of we get harps. We don't become angels naked with wings, little cherubs you saw in your grandmother's, uh, you know, bathroom. You don't become a naked baby angel with wings but these folks will have harps. Now, if you remember, the 144,000 had a song that only they could sing. Now, who do I believe these people are as we've been following the timeline? These are the tribulation saints. These are the ones who have gotten saved, that were left behind, who have been here for this, and now we see them in heaven. So what do I think? I think that the 144,000 get raptured before the bowls of wrath. And if if you remember the, the weeks of Daniel, this is is a seven-year time period. Three and a half years it is when it really gets bad upon the earth. I believe that the bowls are right at the end of the last three and a half years. And so I believe the 144,000 get raptured, and I then believe that the, the tribulation saints get raptured. Why is it I believe that? Because it said in the previous chapter, the 144,000 are before the throne now. And then now who else do we see before the throne? Those here who have been victorious. They are standing around the throne. Does everybody see this? I saw and looked the sea of glass. This is not on earth. It's in heaven. We've already heard about the sea of glass in heaven. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, they held harps given to them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. And so we're going to get to this song that they sing. And so I want everybody to see this. And this, you know, this is uh, the way I work out the timeline. Some may not like the way I do it, but the reason why I use the rapture as a part of my timeline multiple places places because it's multiple places in the bible. What happened to Enoch? He was what? To heaven. Raptured. What happened to Elijah? How was he taken to heaven? Raptured. How is the church taken to heaven? Raptured. How are the two witnesses taken to heaven? Raptured. There we have four raptures that are clearly spelled out in the bible. No doubt about it. Two in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament, including, uh, you know, the two, uh, be three in the New Testament if you count the two witnesses and the church, but you get my point. There's two rapture events in the Old Testament with Enoch and Elijah, and there's two rapture events in the New Testament, the church and the two witnesses. Why do I now continue to say there's rapturing happening? Because I'm following the timeline. I don't see them upon the earth anymore. I see them in heaven. So I'm like, okay, I think they're in heaven now, and it would make sense that as those bowls of wrath begin to come down, that God's people are taken to heaven. So boom, the 144,000 are taken, and then lastly, the ones after them are taken. Otherwise, you're breaking the timeline more than I feel comfortable with. You're feeling now that you're looking farther ahead, and I told you I only gave permission to do that at one place, and I gave you reasons to that because everybody has to do it because we learn about the birth of Christ, we learn about the kingdom that was in the chapters before. Now I believe we're back to that linear timeline. Somebody say somebody say linear, Thank you. Okay. Now let's go to the Song of Moses. It's referenced in Exodus 15, and then the rest of it's summarized in these passages right here. So it's called the Song of Moses because when Moses uh, delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt, he sang a great song with Miriam, okay? Now here's a powerful song as they get delivered out of the Antichrist kingdom. So remember that. Egypt, great deliverance, being delivered from the Antichrist kingdom. That's why I believe they're in heaven now. They're safe from what's coming upon the earth. They had to be be safe from Egypt, when they were outside of Egypt, while Egypt was being destroyed by the plagues, they had to be safe there. God is now making them safe as these bowls of wrath are coming where? Upon the earth. Somebody say earth. You see, notice that. In Egypt, it was a local place that they were being judged, so they could be outside of Egypt and not suffer in those judgments. But if the thing is, if the judgment is upon the whole earth, where do you have to be to be safe? Heaven, outside of earth. Okay, so you get it. Great and marvelous are your deeds Lord God Almighty just and true are your ways king of the nations who will not fear you lord and bring glory to your name for you alone are, for you alone are holy all nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed so i believe this is now uh, the completion Of all the righteous people brought to heaven, 144,000 had a song we we could not learn. We don't know what it is. But now they're there, the saints, the offspring of the 144,000, the tribulation saints. That's their song. So we've heard the 144,000 song and their song. And if you remember back at the beginning, we heard the song that we have. Does everybody want to see that? Go to Revelation chapter 7. Let's go to the song that we have. 144,000 have a song. The tribulation saints have a song, and then in Revelation chapter 7, we have a song. Does anybody remember our song? Nobody remembers it. You forgot the lyrics? Go to Revelation uh, chapter 7, verse 9. Chapter 7, verse 9. Let's see. Did I go to the 144,000? Did I go there? Yep, this is our song. Okay, and I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. That's why I believe we're already in heaven. We're in heaven here, okay? We're in heaven during this time. That's where I believe we are. I showed you that in the timeline, okay? Here we are, the rapture church. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hand, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. Let's say it together, one, two, three. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, let's say together one, two, three, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, Amen." amen. All right. See, that is your song. That's the church's song. 144,000 have a song that we could not learn. It wasn't given to us. We hear the tribulation saints' song. Okay, now let's go to verse 5. As I looked, I saw in heaven the temple. That is the tabernacle of the covenant of law, and it was open. I don't have time to turn here, but in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6, it says, From the very beginning, when Moses was given the tabernacle that eventually became the temple of Solomon... Herod's temple, and the vision of Ezekiel's temple, which I believe is the end time temple, all three of these are modeled after the original pattern that Moses saw when he was, in, uh, when he was given a heavenly vision. Some of you didn't know that. I hope now you can tie that together. The tabernacle is a replica of what is in heaven. In heaven, there is a holy of holies. In heaven, there is a holy place. In heaven, there are these items, the seven golden candlesticks, as we've ever learned, uh, already learned, the table of showbread, the word of the Lord, the 12 tribes of Israel, all of these things, the, the, the brazen laver, the, the sea of glass. We've been learning about this, the altar, the fires, everybody tracking with me there. okay? And so this now is going to be brought back to our attention to show us the completion of what God started in the old covenant. Because remember, he didn't come to abolish, but fulfill. So he has fulfilled in Christ, the Father has fulfilled in Christ all that was put in the first covenant. And now the covenant is going to be brought to the earth that he has originally made with Israel and all those who are grafted into Israel. And that's why right now in the end times our eyes are focused on Israel. I'm not saying everything they do now as a nation is correct. I don't believe that's the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God. But I believe they have to be there for everything else to come into place. They have to have a temple for the anti Christ to defile it. And once again, that doesn't just mean, because sometimes you'll meet a sassy Jew that just says, well, you just want us to go to to the Holy Land so we can all be destroyed by the Antichrist. Partly true, yes. I do want the end to come. But another part is, I want you to be saved and not go under the Antichrist government. Okay? So be obedient to God and do what he's asked you to do. Amen? And that's what we want. Now, remember that the reason why I say this is because Old Covenant doesn't do, go, go away because we're in new covenant. It gets fulfilled. So what becomes the Israel of God in the new covenant? Those born from the stock of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who have been born again, and those engrafted in with Israel, the sojourner, the stranger, those like us who have now made the Jewish Messiah our Messiah. But you can't take away from the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Does everybody get that? We will all be Jewish citizens in the kingdom of God. That's my point. But I am not a Jew by descent, I am a foreigner, but I am grafted in by Christ, circumcised of the heart, and brought in. You, you guys get that? So Jerusalem rules the world. Israelites govern the world, and you can be a part of the Israelites. And they don't just get in because they're Israelites, they have to be born again. As Jesus taught a chief scholar, a chief Israelite, he said, you have to be born again if you want to see what? The Come on, how many preachers do I have? You're helping me out. It's on our tracks. You have to be born again if you want to see what? The kingdom of God. Isn't that what we're talking about? So, as this is happening, keep in mind the kingdom of God is fulfilling the covenant. After this, I looked and saw in heaven the temple. That is the tabernacle of the covenant of law. It was open. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. So because the world broke the covenant and do not have Jesus, the covenant maker, or the covenant forgiver and reestablisher, because they do not have Jesus, they are now going to be judged according to the curses that was upon the original covenant. It's either you stand before God based on your own righteousness, which is filthy rags and accept his judgment, or you come under Christ who fulfilled for us in the covenant what Jew nor Gentile could do. Does everybody get that? So now he is keeping his word from the time of Deuteronomy chapter 28. He is keeping his word to what he had said to the Israelite people that, that upon the earth will come judgment. Just like he did in Noah's time, the judgment will come. And so now uh, if, they, if they are not a regenerate Jew, if they are not, you know, serving, the well, at, at this point, let me be clear, 144,000 is what I believe is all that is remaining of the Jewish people. So I don't believe you can be a Jew and not be regenerated, regenerated at this time. You will have either been regenerated or Taken in the rapture or destroyed by the different plagues. So, whatever God chooses as 144,000 are the only Jews that are left at this time. That's my personal belief, okay? So, anyways, going on with this is that at this time, if you are not one of the 144,000 that have been raptured, if you have not been one of the tribulation saints, This is now your judgment. Everybody upon the earth is going to get it. Then one of the four living creatures, let me go back up. It says, out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen, and wore golden sashes around their chest. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels the seven bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So now... Where where we get a picture of heaven, it looks like there's people around the temple coming in and out of the temple. Now the temple is closed off. These are the last judgments of God. Are you guys ready for the bowls of wrath? Okay, not necessarily the most exciting thing in church, but are you ready to see what God does? Here it is. Here's the last judgments. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned to blood like that of a dead person and every living thing in the sea died. How many things died? Every living thing. Now once again, If I am not taking this literal after the sign's already been interpreted, like I get there's a sign, like we're seeing it as a sign, you know, John is seeing and describing it to us, but now if I don't take the sign literal, what am I supposed to take this as? Well, someone else is going to interpret this for you now, right? They're going to give you their own and in private interpretation. Well, every living thing in the sea dying doesn't mean every living thing in the sea dying. It just means whatever I think now it means. No, I'm not going to let you privately interpret this for me. I'm going to take the sign to be interpreted by what it tells me it is. The signs being interpreted that the sea turns to blood and now there are no longer any fishies in the sea. They're all dead. Everything is now dead. And as I've said before, there was never a time in 70 AD or in any other time in history when every living thing in the sea has died. Even during the flood, the living things lived. Do you understand that? They lived. The the, the sea creatures lived. But now everything in the sea dies. How about this next one? The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water. They became blood. Think of the Mississippi River. Think of every river you could think of, Illinois River. All of it blood now. We see know, you know, we see uh, you know, uh, things uh, preliminary before this in the plagues of Egypt, but that was only like the Nile River. This is every river. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments. So it looks like there's angels in charge of the fresh waters. And he says back to God, you are just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are and were. For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you've given them blood to drink as they deserve. Somebody say they deserve it they deserve it. And I heard another out of the altar say, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. I have the King James reference there because uh, the NIV has the altar actually speaking. And I believe there's a variant there, and I always go back to the King James. So I believe it's an angel speaking from the altar, not the altar like a chest opening up and beginning to talk. Though I guess God could do that if he wanted to, but I just think that's the NIV missing what, um, what the original has there. Okay, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. You ever heard about that on earth? Okay, and if that's, if that's not the interpretation of the sign, then what is the interpretation of the sign? The sun scorches people with fire. Once again, I'm not going to keep repeating this, but you get my point. Now you got to wait for somebody else who you think is smarter than you to try to figure that out. And trust me, I've been with the people who we think are smarter than us, and they don't figure it out. It's clearly to me a sign about what? The sun, the sun scorching people. That's what the sign is. And so what does that mean happening in our atmosphere? Things are changing in our atmosphere. The ozone is not protecting them. The, The heat of the sun, something's imploding maybe, extra heat coming from it. Who knows what's going on exactly, but we know how it results. It results people being burned. They were seared by the intense heat. And they curse the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify God. Because remember, we talked about this in times past. When they have taken the mark, they have now sealed their fate. And we've given our best indication to what the mark could be. could be part A.I., so you no longer have control over your volition. It could be part chemical, so that now you have like a date rape drug that sedates you, that's always in you. It could be part all of that as well of the technological bits that only allow you to buy and sell. So, do I think it's just a vaccine? No, because I, I know that you can't buy and you can get a vaccine and not be restricted in buying and selling. But do I think a vaccine gives us a hint of how it can work? That it can be chemicals in that? Yeah. Do I think it's just AI? No, I don't think it's just AI, but I think it can be like AI. Do I think it's just a computer chip like they're giving employees or military folks now? No, I think it's probably a culmination of all of that that goes inside of your hand, you know, your forearm. Or your forehead, and that's where the lightest bit of skin is so it can be easily scanned, right? And then from there, there's probably chemicals, there's probably chips, and a whole lot of information. And at that point, you are no longer able to be saved. Whoever has these marks, they're going to start getting cursed by the sun. Fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. So the Antichrist kingdom gets judged, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony, cursed the God of Heaven because of the pains, uh, their pains and sores. But they refuse to repent. Does everybody get now a, a pattern happening here? They're not wanting to repent. They're being rebellious. They're des- they're deserving of this. Here comes a little freaky, uh, a little freaky sideshow right here. You guys ready for this? The six angel. We had a little bit of it last week, but let's get into it now, word for word. The sixth angel poured out his his bowl on the great river Euphrates, which is an important part of that, that, um, that area, and its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. Okay? Now, when we say east, this can be Russia, this can be China, this can be other Arab nations, and it's probably a culmination of all of them. Okay? And then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs come out of the mouth of the what? The dragon, out of the mouth of the... Beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now, put this into the, how we say this is the false trinity because we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, the dragon trying to be like the Father figure has a beast. The Antichrist being like a Christ figure who's also suffered a resurrection, uh, rather suffered a death and then was raised, and then the prophet being like the Holy Spirit, somehow now are standing on earth, and I kind of see it like a folding in Russia now, so you see maybe the big... Dragon, you know, because I believe the devil's been hurled to earth. He cannot go from dimension to dimension now. Now he has to be there, and he's 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 seated in the earthly realm, so they can see him, like how Jesus saw him. And then there's the antichrist in front of him, and the prophet in front, and then out of I don't want to like do this too much because I don't have any spirits in me to come out, but just to kind of just to kind of like demonstrate it. Out of, out of the devil you know, comes the three spirits of frogs, and then it goes right through the beast, and then it comes to the prophet, and bloop, 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 bloop. they come out, one, two, three, and, and it says they go out now to deceive, watch this, to deceive, they are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the world to gather them for the battle of Armageddon or the battle of the great day of the God Almighty. So once again, what do I think that is? I think it is just what I described it to be. I think these three figures are on earth, three demonic spirits come out because remember during the time of one of the kings, God asked, who will go down and deceive them for me? And one of the fallen angels says, I'll go down and be a lying spirit in the mouths of the prophet. God has always used the devil to get done what he wants done. If you guys know the stories of the Bible. And so these lying spirits now appear as frogs. And, I mean, just put yourself here in the position of what what is this, Thor or one of these things. You know, a lying spirit comes to the king. Come on, king, let's go fight against God over here, you know. Little ribbit, you know, let's go fight against God over here. And then you're going to be like, you're a frog-like creature. I don't want to follow you. But look at these signs that I do. And what have we already, what have we already been open to as a suggestion, as a possibility, to why all this works? Because from the very beginning with the rapture, what is everybody putting this on? Extraterrestrials. Oh they were taken up in the extraterrestrial ship now they're coming down look at Apollyon, this demon god that's that's part of these extraterrestrials oh look at the locust armies these are part of the extraterrestrials look at the dragon this beast you know look at these these are all alien like figures and i think that that's how they will be believable to people and i think that everything we see like in thor like in marvel comics is dulling the senses to what this would be i've literally heard some of the most staunch atheists like Richard Dawkins, say, oh, I hate God. I don't believe in Jesus. And then they hold his feet to the fire, and they say, well, then how did life start on this planet? And he goes, well, if, if I had to come up with a way that somehow the living things came, it was probably seeded by aliens. One of the most staunch atheists, you can get the quote, you can watch it, Richard Dawkins would rather go Prometheus, if you know the backstory of aliens, would rather go Prometheus than to believe the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. And Prometheus is like a, a, a creature that's an advanced creature that came to earth. Uh, they're, they're these advanced creatures, and one of them comes, takes a pill, dissolves in our water, and that allows living things to come out of the water over the next 8 billion years or whatever, from the goo through the zoo to you, but you started as Prometheus, okay? But that's what he would rather believe. Prometheus came and seeded the earth rather than this, and that's why the Bible says the fool says in his heart there is no God. Now, what does it require of us? Remember, we've talked about this before. What is, it re- re- requires of us faith to believe that this can happen this way? But didn't it require faith for people to believe in a mark that could be marked upon every single human being that they couldn't buy and sell? So why should we now deny our faith and try to, to get to the point where say, well, that's just silly. That could never happen. Who says it could never happen? There's nothing illogical about spirits being on the earth. There's nothing illogical about these things deceiving people to go fight battles. There's nothing illogical here. It's just supernatural. It's different than what we would consider normal. But there's no square circles here. There's no married bachelors. Can I get an amen? All we have to do is just be able to say, God, You know what? I trust that if you're giving this to us, it's for a reason. And what did I write out uh, or rather give you as an explanation? Can I get these two fans on for me, brothers? Thank you. What did I give as an explanation to why probably we're given this? For the tribulation saints. The tribulation saints are supposed to be comforted by this because we're supposed to know that God is in control, even if you got saved at the last minute. Thank you, good sir. So the demonic spirits, they perform signs and wonders. They go out and battle the kings of the world to gather them for the day uh, of the battle of the Lord or God Almighty. Verse 15, look. Now, see, this is why I believe who they're talking, uh, who God is talking to here, the tribulation saints. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and shamefully exposed. Okay, now get this. Imagine you're in the time of the tribulation. You've become a Christian from the 144,000. What book are you going to go to for encouragement? Are you going to go to the book of Ephesians? I mean, you can, but really, you're on the run. You know, you're being killed. What book are you going to need during the time of the tribulation? You're going to need a book of Revelation. Aha, isn't God so good? He gives you the book. So what is he saying to them? Look, I'm coming like a thief. Well, hold on. If my friends now who are post-tribulation go, hey, I, I can show you that that means the Christians are still there during all of this. I'm telling them, I'm still coming. Don't worry about it. Well, hold on. Like a thief how in the world would it be like a thief? We already have the exact timeline. It would be on time right now, from the seven-year treaty to the three-and-a-half-year break. I could have this down pretty quickly to where I think God is coming. There's no more thief in the night analogy. Does everybody get that? The thief in the night analogy would be for those in the tribulation, like the 144,000 or their, their disciples, their offspring, as the Bible says, who don't know when they're getting rescued before the bowls of wrath start, because we we know the bowls of wrath start at some point before the end of the seven years, but we don't know when they start. Do the seven bowls of wrath happen literally on the last day of the seven years, or do they happen two weeks before the seven years, a month before the seven years? And so what he is telling him, uh, telling them, the 144,000 tribulation saints is, no, look, I'm coming. I'm going to judge them. Here's a reminder. You need to be ready so you can be out of here for this stuff. That's what I believe. Can I hear an amen if you're tracking with me? Okay. Then they gather the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So the spirits gathered together these armies. The seventh angel poured out his bowl. This is the last of the bowls. He poured out his bowl into the air. He pours it out into the air. And out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Everybody say it is done. So it is over, this is the last one, there, uh, then there came flashes of lightning, rumbling peals of thunder, a severe earthquake, no earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth, so tremendous was the quake, the great city, as we'll learn about is Babylon, split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapse, so what do I think happens here, I think Babylon splits into how many parts, three parts, and what happens to the rest of the cities? Yeah, they're flattened out. They collapse. Thank you. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones each weighing about 100 pounds fell on people, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Everybody say amen. 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 So there we have what I believe is the 29-verse sermon right there. And I still got a half hour left. How many want me to go for the 92 sermon? Let's go. All right. Let's go to Revelation 17. Somebody say Babylon. Babylon. Now we're going to take a trip into Babylon. We have finished the bowls of wrath, and this is the second time where the timeline breaks. So remember, everybody has to deal with a timeline. Some of my friends who are preterists, they say, forget about it all making sense, stuff it into 70 AD, and don't even try to make sense out of a timeline, okay? So they cannot critique me for having two times to jump a timeline. They cannot. Pre-, mid-, and post-tribulation folks are the ones who are going to argue about the timeline the most because it matters the most to us. But once again, guess what? All of us have to agree that this is now a jumping of the timeline. So nobody scores any point. It's not like somebody from the post-tribulation view can now go, hey, you had to jump your timeline, but pre-tribulation, I got you. No, you did too. We all did. We all jumped the timeline here. And the way we look at this is interludes. Everybody say interludes. There's basically two major interludes that happen. How do we know that they're interludes? Because it literally tells you that something is finished, and then it goes back into the thing it was finished. So what did we just hear got judged and destroyed? Babylon, right? Okay, a couple of you are paying attention. Let me go back to this. I'm not making this up, friends. I'm not making it up. Everybody look here. What does the seventh angel do? What does the seventh angel destroy? Babylon. So now, and it says it's finished, right? It's destroyed. Babylon is finished right here. God remembered Babylon. Let's go back up here, okay? It is done. So is there anything after it is done? No. So Babylon is destroyed. Where are all the cities now? They're collapsed. And what happened to the great city Babylon? It's split into three parts, right? So now if I go here and it begins to talk to me about Babylon in in its height of its power, Can that come after it was destroyed and split into three parts? No, you guys get the point. Okay, so that's how we know it's going back into the time. The same thing is when we did the last interlude, and it talks about a woman giving birth to the Messiah. Did Jesus come uh, in the year 2300, or did Jesus come around 30 A.D.? So, if we're starting a section off with the birth of Jesus, how many know we're not going forwards? We're going backwards. So the two interludes tell you we're going backwards. It has to be backwards, otherwise, literally what you just read makes zero sense. And so, like I said, the preterists, they don't care about a timeline. They don't just throw, they just go and pick pieces all, the, all out of there. Trust me, I've tried to follow them and, and hear their scholars do it. They and I'm telling you, here's their biggest thing, because I want to give them honors I can. I want to represent them correctly, don't lie. They'll simply say, it's a book of signs. Just go wherever you can go with it to make it fit to 70 AD. That's, an, that's, that's the best way they'll summarize it. Like I said, we care about the timeline, and there's two places we have to jump the timeline, and each time we jump the timeline, there's a reason why. It's because the very thing it said was finished. We're now brought back into that point, and the point of going back there is to give us more understanding. That's really all it is. So let me just show you right here how it jumps twice, and you can go back and look at it if you're a visitor. After we hear here about the trumpets and the judgments coming on the Antichrist kingdom, we then learn about how the Antichrist got a kingdom, and it all starts with Jesus first in his kingdom and him imitating the kingdom. That's how we knew it jumped. Now, how do we know it jumps after we just heard about the seven bowls? Is because the seventh bowl ends with Babylon being destroyed. Somebody say Babylon. Babylon being destroyed, and now we're gonna learn about how Babylon has been here this whole time. Is everybody cool with that? Okay. Let's keep going. God help us. God help us understand the book of Revelation. Here we go. Okay. Revelation chapter 17. No, it's 18, isn't it? No, it is 17. Thank you. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. Now, oh, I thought we just saw it. Yeah, but you're going to understand more about her punishment in light of everything she did. Once again, this is what I love about our God, he doesn't even tell you much about the devil until you already know the devil's defeated. How many know that? You already hear about him being defeated in the book of Genesis. And then later on in Ezekiel, you hear about all these things he's been doing and trying to be God and all of that. And it's the same thing here. You know, you've already heard about Babylon being destroyed. Now you're going to hear more about the punishment, but the the reason why you're hearing about it is because you're going to understand how wicked this city was and what it was doing. Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. Now you see it's going past tense. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. Then I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and 10 horns. Wow, isn't that mysterious? There's a woman. She's riding a beast. On her are a bunch of tattoos or names. Don't just mess with my tattoo, folks. As long as your tattoos aren't blasphemous, are a bunch of blasphemous names. And she has... Or the beast has, because we don't really know where this and is at, but we've known before that at least the dragon and the beast have the seven heads and ten horns. She may as well. So there's a creature, either her or the beast, has seven heads, ten horns. How many get it? And it sounds mysterious. But guess what? We're going to learn exactly what we're looking at. Verse 4, the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, glittering with gold. Precious stones and pearls. She had a cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Oh, it's a mystery. No one will ever figure it out. No, the mystery is now told to us in the next line. Here's the mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes. So she's the hoe of what? All hoes. She's the whore of all whores. She is the prostitute of all prostitutes. Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Okay? Now, watch this. Let's keep going. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery. Everybody go. Ooh. So so and so can't sell us the book for twelve ninety nine now, okay? Because we're going to have it explained in the book we already got for free. Hello, somebody. We already got it. It's right here. I'm going to explain the mystery to you. So anyone who goes beyond the explanation, like that's not good enough for them, ought not to say it's part of the explanation. They can always say it's my opinion. And so I'll do that here and go, that's my opinion. But I shouldn't sell you my opinion. I shouldn't try to teach it to you like it's fact. And that's where I get upset with a lot of end times folks is they try to make this as certain as the Trinity, as the second coming of Jesus, things that we're certain over. Here's the mystery explained to us and the way that we're to understand it. I will explain the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and 10 horns. Now we see... That before where it was unclear, did the woman have the seven heads and ten horns? Now it's clear it was the beast. But we wouldn't have known exactly in that context until we got further down. Verse 8, the beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come out of the abyss and go to its destruction. We learned in previous chapters that that beast is also filled with the power of the dragon, that beast has a resurrection, that beast has a kingdom, that beast has a mark. Now we learn a little bit more about the beast coming out of the abyss to its destruction. So where do I think the Antichrist come, or when do I think the Antichrist comes out of the abyss? At his resurrection. See, he goes to hell and gets to come back into his body. God allows it. And so I'm going to show you how I believe the seventh kingdom merges into the eighth kingdom. You're going to have to know that in just a moment. But remember why I believe that the Antichrist, who we call the beast, comes out of the abyss. Now, can I sell this to you? No, but I'm just trying to give you the best explanation. How do I believe it once was? I believe that the same way the dragon fills the Antichrist, he filled the leader at the Tower of Babel. And so I'm going to show you how Babel, Babylon, how these things come together, that was what was happening at that time. And Nimrod is a type of the Antichrist. And so Nimrod was filled with the devil, and then God separated mankind, and then he died, and that plan didn't work, and now he's going to try it again, and the Antichrist will have an assassination attempt, and then he'll die, go into the abyss, but God will allow him to be raised, because remember, you can't raise somebody to dead from the dead without God's permission and then this antichrist will have a resurrection and do that. That's my explanation. Do you want me to sell you a book on it? No, just take it for what it is. Okay? It's my best explanation. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been whose names who have not been written down in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was now is not, and yet will come, and so that's how I believe they're going to be astonished with it. They're going to see a possession of a man fully by the devil, and they're going to see him resurrected. And I believe they're going to connect that to the times of the past. That's how I see it. Verse nine, this calls for a mind with wisdom. How am I got a mind with wisdom? Because now we get the explanation of the heads and the crowns, uh, the heads and the th- uh, the horns. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Okay. Seven heads are what? Seven hills. Google right now, Seven Hills City. Seven Hills City. Let's see if we can come up with our best guess of where on this planet is a city with seven hills. Because it's told, we're told to us, the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Okay, someone got one in Ohio. Let's put that as an option. There's seven hills in Ohio. What's another one? Rome. Okay. So now as you're picking out where the antichrist is going to make his kingdom at. Ohio or Rome. And it's okay because I saw Ohio too cuz I wanted to do this before I asked you guys to do cuz there's other cities that obviously or places that might have seven hills, right? So, I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it's an option. It's an option. you got to have certain criteria. Ohio has seven hills. Another one, San Francisco. There you go. So as you Google, thank, thank you. We have enough for the moment. But, but you might find more than one. You might find 100. You might find 100. Okay, we got it. Thank you. It doesn't matter to me if you find 100. Now at this point, you have an option to choose. Where are you going to go? Rome, to me, is the most popular and the most a seated place for all of this to happen because as you're going to learn, the river Euphrates drying has to be a part of the battle of Armageddon and all these places that we're naming are not even in those regions. So now we begin to see seven cities, a seven hills city next to Euphrates. Now we have to filter it. Where is a place that has seven hills next to Euphrates? Where is that place? Now I think we're left only with Rome. But remember, you started with seven hills, and now you put next to it Euphrates. These are the seven heads. Uh, The seven heads are the seven hills of which women's seats? I believe this is Rome. And that's why when you look at people who try to make this happen, and they say it was 70 A.D. and the destruction of Jerusalem, they do have some things they pull out here. But once again... The Rome that we are uh, we're, we're going to see here is not the same Rome of the Nero time and those who uh, Tastation Tacitus or whatever. Uh, look up who uh, since you want to be so helpful, thank you. Look up the emperor who destroyed the Jewish Temple. I believe it's Tastation or something. What is or Titus Emperor Titus? We'll get one of those. It's a T name. So as you'll see here, this cannot be the Roman Empire of 70 A.D. And you're going to see me make an argument for the revised Roman Empire in just a moment. The seven heads are seven hills and. A, Titus, thank you. Emperor Titus. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also, everybody say also, seven kings. So do you now see that we're given permission to make one sign have two interpretations? I didn't do that on my own. I do that from the Bible. See, I wait for the Bible to tell me to go in those directions. Now, I updated this, and guys, let's give it one refresh I gave it a long time here before we do it. Let's give it one refresh, and then we'll see if I can show you all the nations that I believe this is. So you're going to see seven heads representing seven kingdoms or kings. If you could hit enter for me, please. Thank you. And what I believe those seven kingdoms are are the seven world empires. And I believe that's important to know because this is a world empire as well, the last one. Okay, let's see if I have it here. Yes. Oh, no, that was for something else. Okay, no, I don't have it in your notes yet. It should be refreshed in just a little bit. Okay, so here are the nations that I believe have been a part of the Antichrist kingdom. And when we talk about the Antichrist, remember there's many Antichrists because the devil's been working. The one Antichrist, the last one, is going to be a culmination of them. Okay, so it says in verse 11, going up here to verse 11, the beast once was was not oh you know oh, sorry verse 10 they are seven kings five have fallen one is the other has not yet come but when it does he must only remain for a little while the beast who once was is not and, and uh, is not now is not is an eighth king so let me read this it's already going to be confusing let me just read it right so not make it more confusing Let's go up here to the seven heads. Here we go. And, and I, don't, I think I'll have to do a part two on this because there's no way I can keep going with all this. Here we go. Let's read this slowly. The seven heads are seven hills. Somebody say seven hills. seven hills. Thank you. So we already got that on which the woman sits. We believe Rome is probably the only one capable of doing that. Verse 10. They are also seven kings. I'm going to interpret that as seven kingdoms. Okay? Five have fallen. One is currently, the other has not yet come. But when he does, he must only remain a little while. How many have we just counted? If five has fallen, one is, and one is to come only for a little while. What? How many have we counted? Seven, right? Thank you. Now, verse 11 says, the beast who once was and now is not is a what king? Eighth king. He belongs to the what? The seven and is going to his destruction. So track with me. The first kingdom that I believe has come and ruled the world is Egypt, second one is Syria, third one, Babylon, fourth one, Medes and Persians, fifth one, Greece. The kingdom that is now, the sixth kingdom at the time of Revelation, was Rome. The one that is to come but will be a little while will be the revised Roman Empire with the Antichrist before his assassination. After his assassination, rising from the abyss, he now becomes the eighth and final king, thus being a part of the seventh. Does everybody get that? That's my best way of explaining it. You can go back and research it, but I promise you, you're only listening to opinions at this point. Nobody can go beyond that. But what are we supposed to get out of this? Is that the woman is sitting on a governmental ruler. She is a city that is upon the beast who is this governmental ruler. Now, let's keep going to the 12 horns, verse 12. Excuse me, 10 horns. It helps when I I read, doesn't it? Sometimes I went back and I listened to myself read and I'm like, man, I'm making this so hard for these guys because I'm not even reading right. Please be gracious with me. The 10 horns you saw are how many kings? 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom. Remember up here... Five have already fallen, one is, one is to come, and then the Antichrist is going to be the eighth, but now we learn that the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, so they're in the future, but for who... But who for one hour will receive authority as kings alongside with the beast? They will have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph. That's why if we go back to the timeline, this is now at the very beginning. This is talking about the very beginning when he wakes, makes war against the lamb. But the Lamb will triumph over them because He is the Lord of lords, King of kings, and with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. How many of you guys are that? Amen. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. Now let's just pause right here. If the Bible goes out of its way to interpret signs for us, Why should we ever think that it gives us a sign that it uh, it won't interpret? And if for whatever reason it doesn't interpret a sign or it's something that's confusing, confusing, why should we then pretend we know what that interpretation is? And that's why I get a little bit upset with those who interpret Revelation. Let's go where the Bible leads us. It interprets what it needs to interpret for us, and I don't think it leaves too many things unanswered when it comes to the big general detail, uh, the big general picture. Maybe to some of the details, I don't know all the kings, I don't know all the peoples, et cetera, but uh, you know, the, the 10 kings ruling over these nations, I don't know which ones they are, but I know It encompasses the whole world. But my point is, why am I now going to try to list out to you the 10 kings that have to rule the world? So some people is going to be like, well, it has to be Iraq, and then it has to be Russia, and then it has to be. Do I know that? You don't know that. But what do we do know? That ten kings at that time will unite. This is where now people say, where is America found in the Bible? It's found here. One of our leaders is probably a part of that ten and submits right to the Antichrist. Does everybody get that? And the Bible even says Israel does that. Israel submits to the Antichrist and makes a treaty for the first three and a half years. Does everybody remember that in Daniel chapter 9? So somehow the, ten, uh, the world is divided up into ten kings at that time who give power to the Antichrist. And now look at this. The, 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 um, the angel says the water you saw where the prostitute sits is over all the peoples, multitudes, nations, and language. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their heart to accomplish this purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw, here it concludes, is the great city, that rules over the kings of the earth. Everybody go aha. Okay Vinny come on up and we'll talk more about Babylon when I get back but everybody get this Babylon has to be a city that is in cooperation with the beast for a certain time the beast as we are now told is a 7th 8th kingdom. How does the 8th kingdom get established the 8th kingdom gets established by 10 kings at that time is everybody tracking with me And that city is the capital of that kingdom. At some point, what happens with those kings? They turn against that city. So, in the big picture, what do I think is really going on here? What's my best way of understanding this? I believe that the Antichrist, sometime around after the rapture, divides the world into ten kingdoms, or the world is divided into ten kingdoms, whatever comes first. At that point, those ten kings give the Antichrist his authority. They then suffer some of these judgments, but it's not enough to deter them. They start going hard for their kingdom, making war against the Lamb and chasing down God's people as they are now getting ready to fight God. During that time, Rome is their center city, the revised Roman Empire. And we're going to learn more about that in the future here. But during that time, everybody gets upset with Babylon or the revised Roman Empire and they begin to rebel and so we don't know exactly what causes this rebellion but they get upset could it be that they start to have regrets they might but then by the time we get to those bowls and everything falling down there are no more regrets so we don't know is it a regret that makes them do it or could it possibly be that they want more power And that they're not getting it because they keep seeing God wrestle against them. That's pretty much what I think. I don't really take the regret idea because, remember, to take it as regret, we have to go against the bulls where it says they're not repenting. That's why I was highlighting that to you. They're not repenting at the end. So whatever turning these kings have against Babylon, it's because I think out of their selfishness they want more, but they're realizing God is stopping them. And then what begins to happen? is God begins to send down the last bowls of wrath, and now out of their anger, even though they've destroyed their own city, out of their own anger, they're like, well, we're going to take it out on God now, and that's how the battle of Armageddon comes. It comes with them already destroying the city that they were looking to, to be their future, their utopian place, and they turn against God. And what is the purpose of us learning about Babylon? To be afraid, to start becoming conspiracy theorists? Though I think, you know, we should uncover things that are trying to lead us in that direction. I'll go way more into depth when I come back. Uh, Next week, uh, Brother Lawrence will be preaching. I'll be uh, in New Orleans. Can we get up for Brother Lawrence coming to preach? Amen. He's going to preach on revival. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? But here's the reason why I think we're told this is because we're supposed to understand the the whore of babylon the city of babylon is the anti of the bride of christ and she wants only what she can take and people use her for only what they can get out of her everybody track with me please give me these last few moments to tie this together otherwise we're just learning about judgments i want us to tie this together real quick you got to get this why do we learn about babylon Not just prepare us or the tribulation saints. We learn about Babylon not to be like Babylon. In a few verses, we're going to hear, come out of her. So what does that mean? I think there are Babylonian systems right now. I think there are systems right now, and I'm going to get really deep into this when we talk about it, how the church backsliding is a part of the Babylonian system. That people wanting socialism, part of the Babylonian system. That uh, entertainment and media, worshiping people, is a part of a Babylonian system. And what you're learning when you learn about the Babylonian system is really the heart of flesh that's always wanted what it's wanted upon this earth. And God has been against it. And yet, everybody get this, in the church, we're allowing it even right now people are allowing a Babylonian mindset in the church because when I start showing you the descriptions of Babylon guess where I'm going to go to show you Babylon has been with us this whole time I'm going to go to the prophecies against Israel and the church both Israel and the church have been called adulterers, have been called prostitutes have considered themselves without need of God And so I think that that Babylonian system is going to tie together a one-world religion that is going to be everything people wanted that Christianity didn't offer. And what we're seeing right now, come on, get this, is a sign of what will draw them in. Because in the Babylonian system, you can be homosexual and still be spiritual. In the Babylonian system you can hate people over where they've come from and still be accepted because it's going to be right to judge in that way. There's going to be insiders and outsiders in the Babylonian system, just like we're seeing. Like Black Lives Matter looks like justice, but they're really full of hate. So you'll be accepted just like the alt-right, just like Muslim terrorists. Islam will come into Babylon. Why? Because Islam is always a Trojan horse. Islam will always partner and do a a form of lying, to forward their mission. They will come in like the Trojan horse. Oh, we're of peace, we're of peace. But in their mind, they're just waiting for their opportunity. And so Islam will love the Antichrist because they'll see that maybe they can become this or that. Because remember, at some point, those nations turned against them. See, if if the Arab alliance is one of those kingdoms, why would it turn against Babylon? Because at some point, they're probably not getting what they were promised, right? Come on, somebody. And that's where these kingdoms begin to turn and go, oh, you promised us this and that, but now, you know, we're seeing all these judgments, we're seeing all these problems, we can't we can't have peace on the earth because we keep getting these trumpet sounds that, you know, send down hell, hail and hellfire and all of this. But today, we have to be woke to this, to come out of it. Can we all stand and raise up our hands today and say, Jesus, take out Babylon from my heart and put... Jerusalem in. Show me if there are any Babylonian ways. Even as a Christian, would you just guard your heart today? Is there anything about Christianity that you kind of don't like sometimes that you go, oh, I just wish I could do it this way or that way? Would you be honest right now? And if you've never been a Christian, you already are part of Babylon, doing it your way, like Frank Sinatra. One of the hymns of Babylon will be a Frank Sinatra song. I did it my way. That's going to be the draw. Come on, is there anybody here that kind of wishes God would do it your way? Ask the Lord to change your heart. Repent. Is there anybody here that's been disappointed with God? You don't feel like it's fair for your, your you know, co-worker to get a promotion even though they're wicked or cheating or lying? Anybody here been dealing with jealousy? About how people have more than you do, but you do right. Come on, repent of those things right now in the name of Jesus before we go. Get Babylon out of your heart. Because that's the trick of Babylon, that's the lie of Babylon, is it will make a partnership with you to say, we'll both get rich, we'll both be happy, we'll both be successful. But at some point you're gonna not like that. If you stayed around, you would see you're not gonna like what you get in the end. It's not gonna be what you want. The devil's a liar. He's only come to steal, kill, and destroy. Lord, take Babylon out of our heart and give us Jerusalem, the city of peace with God. Come on, somebody say, Jesus, I love you. No matter what I go through, ups or downs, for better, for worse, in sickness or in health, richer or poorer. Come on, somebody say, I'm with you, Jesus. To the end of the age, forever and ever. Lord, I pray you raise up disciples here that take up their cross and follow you. In a few moments, we'll dismiss and start worshiping and